Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Ball. And this week, we're celebrating yet another major anniversary of a beloved Valve game, this time highlighting 15 years of wiping Boomer Bile off our backs with Left 4 Dead. We'll be chatting about what made the game a Steam staple, how it deviated from other horror multiplayer games at the time, as well as how the game evolved with its sequel, Left 4 Dead 2. But it isn't just Neil and I calling out pills and closing safe house doors in our squad mates' faces, as we're joined by returning friend of the show and GameSpot editor, Mark Delaney. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, um, especially so soon after the last one. I figured uh, when that Alan Wake episode ended, I was like, well, if they invite me back, I guess it went well. And if they don't, then maybe they hated me. So I'm here. So I guess that one went well. Yeah, I think that's probably the quickest turnover. Right? <laughs> turnover, but uh, I think, you know, your enthusiasm for Alan Wake obviously shone through. And uh, we were so happy to you know have an opportunity to chat with you again about a game that, uh, you know, I think you have a great deal of love for and one that, uh, you know, is kind of been one of those games that, you know, I've always had a love for. And at the same time, what was kind of strange about it was that it was a game that everybody in my immediate life when it came out was playing it. And I've talked on the show plenty of times, uh, much to Neil's dismay, I'm sure, of like the fact that nobody in my immediate circle and like real life side of Twitter and everything like plays games outside of Call of Duty or Madden, which is fine, but I don't have anybody in my life to talk about some of these games that I love with. Left 4 Dead was a game, though, that, you know, the fact that I was playing on PC, all my friends got it on console because, you know, everybody loved Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 version of my circle. Everybody loves 28 Days Later. And to have a game that was channeling the runner zombie thing um, was just like very surreal for me. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I, I have to get this on console now because all my buddies are playing it. Um, and so I'm curious for you, like, what was your kind of relationship with Left 4 Dead when it came out? Um, was it something that you're playing on console, on PC? Did you have a good group of buddies to dive into with it? I uh, yeah, I, I got it almost on launch day, but it was it was a, a weird way that I fell into it. I didn't really know it existed. Um, I've been I kind of have to back up a little bit and explain why that is. I, I basically I've played games all my life, but I always feel like looking back now, I didn't really play like whatever I wanted until like 2007, 2008. That was when I was like 17, 18 or so. And around that time, I started buying games myself. Before that, I was like beholden to whatever my brother brought, brought yes. home or whatever he purchased or whatever <laughs> like I could shake my parents down for. And I always had this weird like I had like a I was I was aware of the fact that games were expensive. And so like I wouldn't sometimes I wouldn't ask for like the games I wanted. So I played, you know, I couple games from that era like gta and splinter cell i think those are still fun but a lot of games i played pre-2007 2008 like movie tie-ins and like mm. <laughs> i mean madden a lot of madden um which has always been like near and dear to my heart not that you guys will do one of those episodes but i'll find a different <laughs> show for that but uh <laughs> but yeah i just i don't know it was around 2000 i mean it was 2008 in november like right when this game came out that I was like, okay, I'm I'm a big boy now. I'm gonna buy my own Xbox 360. Uh, I think my brother and I went in on it. He just had a birthday. He put some birthday money toward it. I was working and going to school, so I put some of my money toward it. And yeah, it was like the first one of two games that I brought home. It was Call of Duty 4: Modern Warfare and Left 4 Dead, the uh, the original Left 4 Dead. Had never heard of it. Didn't really know Valve. You know, even when I had been playing games growing up, it was never PC. 
So like it was it was all totally foreign to me. I just I like zombies. That game was new on the shelf. The cover art was cool with like the hands sticking out. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I gave it a try. I bought it on Xbox. I've always played it on Xbox until more recently. Like again, now that I can kind of like pay my way through my own hobby, which is now also my job. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'll play Left 4 Dead on like Steam Deck. It runs surprisingly well on Steam Deck um, or even PC with like all the mods and everything. So it's I've been playing it since the original, even though like I didn't know it existed until one day at GameSpot. It, no, I always do that. I work at GameSpot <laughs> at GameStop. It's called me out the years. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where I came to it from. Yeah, for me, it was um, funny you mentioned COD Modern Warfare because that was the previous year, that was the game that me and all my buddies were playing on console. And then I kind of got talked into that, getting that for console, because that's what all my buddies were playing it. And then it was my turn to be like, actually, you guys, we have to play this zombie game on console now the following year. Um, and I think that a big part of what made the original Left 4 Dead something that I found everybody basically in my circle could play, not only was interested in playing because of the zombie thing and they were into shooters already, but, you know, in revisiting the game for the last week and a half or so, um, I've always been surprised at how I forget just like how simple Left 4 Dead is from just a mechanic standpoint, but how that simplicity, I never get burnt out on. If anything, the simplicity of those mechanics, the way that it handles and everything actually allows for some of the game's deeper strategy to really shine in a way that kind of just thrives on that cooperative aspect. Because sometimes with games that are sold as being these highly cooperative experiences. Mostly I'm think, talking about shooters. The cooperative aspect, it's like, do you really need that? You need a guy that is like dominating or you need somebody that's good at one thing. And then kind of you can rely on their skill set. But with Left 4 Dead, I find since it's devoid of all of these sort of features and things that have become commonplace with, um, you know, live service games, perks, classes, and those types of things. Um, with Left 4 Dead, you know, it's so simple that you do have to rely on that cooperative nature even if somebody is you know the weak link in a squad if they're not cooperating then all of a sudden that can mean you know like a death sentence for everybody else kind of the other game that made me think of that around that time proof that how multiplayer changed and they went a certain way i always think of battlefield and the way it was up till bad company 2 where you could utilize different abilities together and make you know, a cohesive team and because it was a simple structure underneath. And then the problem there with every battlefield after that was them trying to stack more on top of it to make it like something else, and they ruined it. And I think that's also <laughs> what ends up happening with like most attempts to recreate this game, is they do something that overcomplicates it like that, which I understand why, because you, know, you don't want to straight up copy it and go, there you go that's the same game because people go well it's the same game it's like well yeah that's what you need but yeah that, that's always the way i i think about that often and i even i wrote a thing i think i shared it with maybe jay or something when i saw you guys might be doing a left for dead episode soon it's kind of like just so you know like this is one of those games for me uh <laughs> i i talked to a lot of devs who have made games like it and we'll probably get into it later so i don't want to jump ahead but like there are a lot of games that try to be Left 4 Dead, like you said. It's basically spawned like a subgenre within mm. like shooters or you know this horror co-op shooter horde shooter thing. There's so many like it, and and you're totally right that everybody's like, well, how can we build on those foundational systems? And sometimes those new systems that they add on top are interesting, but at the same time, it's like it's it, it's weird because they they must have like 
you know, to use like Back for Blood as an example, even the title is very much harkening yeah. back to, yeah. they want you to know, like, same studio, different people, you know, different human beings, which I think shines through in that game. Yeah. But, uh, you know, same studio, the name is obviously alluding to it. And they built this whole like roguelite system and everything. And it's like, they must have data that tells them that people expect like these metagame elements. And hmm. so like, I almost can't fault them for trying to add no. new things on top, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. That, that's why I'm so excited about this episode is because Left 4 Dead, it almost feels like it could never be done again. And like, I mean, you can't even aim down sights in that game and you can't even sprint. Yeah, I mean, that was... it's <laughs> like it lacks so many, like not even metagame, like rewards and upgrades or cosmetics, like never mind all that. You couldn't even sprint in that game. Of course, it's it's in the source engine. So it feels like you're ice skating anyway, which is nice. <laughs> <Right>? But <laughs> but like, yeah. like it, it lacks so much in terms of like modern expectations. And yet it's in, it's it's so timeless. I was just playing it this morning just to kind of mess around with it. Honestly, it's never far from my mind. I could have done this episode with no refresher, but I was like, well, now I just kind of feel like playing it because I'm going to be talking about it in a couple hours. And I was just like, I was, I was just blown away that like everything still works. It's I, I don't care that I don't see an XP bar going up and I haven't unlocked the new camo skin or like, it's just, it's so simple and yet it's so effective. It's amazing. It could never be done again because now everybody's got to do all you know six more layers to it and it's like no man the, the one layer was perfect <laughs> there is your inroad for something like madden because you know sports games are like the thing yeah where they're trying to give you the same thing every year but trying to change <laughs> it at the same time and it yeah. just it's always upsets people you know whatever you do with them. <laughs> like that as you know for me it's like with you know soccer football games so i, I the endless frustration of that is um you know, you like being in your comfortable sweet spot with these things because it, it used to work exactly like you remember when it was all offline largely and, you know, uh, the online portion was like its own dedicated thing that that's how it is. It won't be any different ever again <laughs> sort of thing. You know, I'm glad somebody mentioned um, Back for Blood because I was going to bring that up as the prime example of a game that, you know, while we, and we covered it for the show, obviously when it came out, but it was the type of thing where, wouldn't say it was a bad game, but I would say that it is a upsetting example of the modernizing that happens when people see something that a formula that work has worked in the past, obviously left for dead. And then they start applying all these features that are just modern conventions that if they didn't release that game with a lot of those features, I feel like the game probably would have gotten dinged even more than perhaps some people were dinging it in reviews and coverage and stuff because of the fact that oh, well, it doesn't play like all these other modern shooters, which, you know, to our point, which we're getting to is the fact that, you know, if the game was devoid of all of those sort of modern concessions, all the skins, all the unlocks, all the XP, the fact that guns have stats and all those things, like those are all barriers to entry to a certain degree, right? I think that that was something that made it difficult for me when that game came out to get my friend group again to play that because, you know, we're talking about a number of years later, I'm like, hey, you guys remember Left 4 Dead? Let's try Back for Blood. It's a similar concept with some changes to it. And, you know, again, my friend group is very not into anything past COD and Madden. And so like reading stats on guns right away, they're like, well, I'm not really into that. I don't want to do that. And it's like <laughs> such a low bar to clear, but at the same time, you know, it's adding a layer of complexity that I don't think actually adds anything really meaningful 
um, in a way that, you know, when you're trying to harken back to Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead didn't have any of those things. And so to add those features and it not feel like it adds anything meaningful, in my opinion, like the fact that this gun does 0.2 damage more or whatever, it's like, okay. Thinking about Left 4 Dead, I played that game constantly because it was so satisfying just from a gameplay standpoint. There wasn't that progression system. There wasn't rewards behind it. Um, and I think a big part of that is the AI director, right? The fact that that was, and it's funny now, like if a game said on the box, like, oh, it's got an AI director or something like that, you'd be like, oh, that's like marketing jargon. Like how much is that really going to affect it? But like thinking back in the day when Left 4 Dead came out, that was such a groundbreaking feature I found because of the fact that, you know, you know, we played games constantly and replayed multiplayer games because of the fun factor. But like the idea of going through a level or a match and things are slightly different, like that drove a great deal of our sort of just continually playing the same maps and just not getting as burnt out on them. Um, I guess for you guys, like how impactful was that AI director uh, the first time that you saw it, Mark, or experienced it rather? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's everything. You can't really tell you know on one run or whatever but as you as you go through the campaigns and you and you replay them and you start seeing like oh okay now now this corridor goes that way and now this door that used to open is now like boarded up so now i have to find an alternate route the the level design things are small but 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 appreciable and then on top of that with the like the ai director controlling you know, when the hordes arrive and which specials are showing up and, and how many at a time. And it even understood like, you know, you can't, I think this is something that back for blood actually messes up not to make this a second back for blood episode, but uh, it'd be third actually, I think because we covered the beta as well. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They uh, sometimes like the, the special infect is like, it was like the AI director that they used in that game in back for blood. I mean, didn't, it just wasn't tuned to like give you the right thrill, like the, like the right sense of, of pressure. Like, you know, like some, some specials can like do like an area of effect attack and you want to get the hell off of that space. And others will, will keep you stuck in a spot like the hunter and left for dead or something like that. And the way left for dead seems to do it, you know, we can't see under the hood, but we, you play it enough and you realize like it would never send out, like four hunters at a time, because then if you pounce all four people, the map is over. There's no, there's no sense of urgency there. Cause like the AI just grabbed you when you weren't looking and it's over. You want that moment where your ally can save you if they, if they hurry. And I think back for blood didn't seem to tune that correctly because sometimes yeah. you do get like four of the guys that latch onto you at once. And it's like, well, now what do I do? You know? And in their version of the tank was just like a way bigger tank. And it's like, like, I don't know. They just, yeah. A I, tank <laughs> that filled the entire fucking screen. No less. That, that actually is the perfect sort of metaphor for what about back for blood doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like for you as well, right? It's the idea that more is going to make it more challenging, more being more special, more special infected or something like that at a given encounter. But, you know, that was part of what the beauty of left for dead was, is that, at least for me, I never felt like, oh, this is um, the director is getting pissed over the fact that like we're doing too well. So all of a sudden the difficulty spikes in a unnatural way to the degree that all of a sudden this feels like very unfair. Um, it always felt more challenging, which is obviously the intention and what you want. Mm -hmm. You want a challenging experience, but I still always felt like there was an out, so to speak. Right. And it's to your point, there weren't four hunters being thrown at us. 
they weren't throwing three tanks at us at a given moment <laughs> just because I chewed through the last horde with my squad or something like that. It always felt like, oh, the director is kicking things up a notch, but kicking it up a notch never turned into like overkill to the degree right. where I was like, well, fuck this feature because this feature all of a sudden <laughs> is making this so difficult to the degree that we all have to be the best people that have ever played Left 4 Dead. Um, and just the fact also like with Back for Blood, the fact that that sort of tank creature takes up the entire screen, all of a sudden it's like you have this random spectacle. And I think about that. I think the first area or the second area where there's like a tunnel, you fight one of them. And I was like, how cool would this have been if this had been the finale of one mm. of the acts, which, you know, is Left for Dead's whole thing. The fact they have those big finale set pieces, but rather than just throwing, you know, a multiplier of 10 of special infected at you, the set piece <laughs> was more the setting itself and making that a unique setting that felt like this culminating fight that would be at the end of, you know, a George Romero movie or something. Yeah, and I don't even I don't like I said I don't want to just hate on Back for Blood the whole time. One because it's kind of off topic, but two because so many games have like I said have tried to do Left for Dead. Like, I mean, I when I did my feature last year about like interviewing teams that have done games like it, I I almost stayed away from the games that are like very much like it because a lot of those teams have sadly like gone away because they tried to do it and it didn't work out. You know, so I ended up interviewing teams that did like. Um, Deep Rock Galactic, which is like a, you know, there's some elements there and it's different or like Vermintide, Darktide, stuff like that. Um, and they obviously all like paid respect to it in different ways. But and, and many, if not all of them also did AI directors. But I, I think the one thing that Left 4 Dead's AI director gets right that to my memory only the only one that really comes close today is actually the one that's made by the people the actual human beings at the top of like uh the left for dead team originally which is the anacrusis and, yeah. and that one's it's just now exiting uh early access i think mm -hmm. maybe even yeah. this week or next week or something like that um and i haven't played in a few updates and there's been like dozens and dozens of updates but i i could see like there was a kernel of something there when i was playing it when it first came out like last year and i was like okay, this is going to be one to watch because not only is it the people, which right away like calls my attention to it, but like I'm playing it and it feels like it's getting there because yeah, that AI director is everything. You have to get that pacing, right? You know, mm -hmm. if you, yes. if you, like you said, if you're throwing too much at me all at once, it just feels ridiculous. There's no strategy to it. You know, like yeah. when I was playing left for dead earlier this morning, I was backing up and the tank's charging me and he's covered in bile. So like the zombies are kind of aiding me, but my teammates are all strewn about dealing with their own problems. And I'm like unloading into the tank uh, with the AK, which is like the least accurate of the ARs, but it's also the most powerful if I remember. So I'm like, all right, if I hit my shots, I can finish them off in this round, you know, before I have to reload. But I'll, meanwhile, I'm like backing up and not really knowing when I'm going to hit a wall where he's going to like <laughs> flatten me and I'm going to be stuck in the, in the turnbuckle, so to speak. And like, I don't know, just Left 4 Dead is so full of those moments and every game that's tried it, like sometimes they have them, you know, here and there, but not consistently enough. And it's just, it always leaves me like yearning to just go back to, to Left 4 Dead. Um, and to, I mean, to its credit, you know, other than the visuals, which honestly, even those don't look that bad today because they, um, they weren't really going for photorealism in the first place. Like the, the game holds up incredibly well. Like uh, I'm so glad it does too, because I, I think it's not just nostalgia. I think anybody could play this game today for the first time and be like, this rules. Yeah. yeah. That, that seems to be like a Valve feature. I think especially the later they go in, because I, I say that about Portal 2 just being like, 
I, this could have come out yesterday and it would just be like amazing because you know, yeah. it, it looks and plays like nothing else. So yeah, it, it, that's a good thing about it. Um, I relied a lot on it, I think, the, the director at the time because playing online was not possible a lot of the time. You know, I came to it like a year later because I didn't have an Xbox and didn't have a PC at that time. And I got a laptop and due to my living situation at the time, it was um, very much uh, grimy by the time I got to it, the point of using it. And I was living in a hotel uh, as a night porter. And so the, the internet was piss poor hotel internet as well. So that was a pipe dream then to play Left 4 Dead online. You know, but at least I could play it you know, offline and stuff like that. So I got to discover it in that way. You know the AI is good for the the at least your player characters to for, to a degree, but um, <laughs> probably not quite as sophisticated as the uh, the creative AI that is directing the game. And so you you learn a lot more, I think, playing on your own because of that, because you are kind of dictating the pace as much as any system in the background, because. Yeah, the bots will just sit there and do whatever needs doing in, in any given moment. Maybe not quite reactive enough, but I've seen worse in years since then. But um, it was quite the experience, but I liken it to that experience I had with like GTA Online when that came out and how horribly broken and how I'd wait for hours to play it just because the little bits I got out of it were so special, you know, and so amazing and different to anything else I was playing that was like, I will tolerate every shit thing going on here to just get a crumb of that because the other game I, I played a lot around then online was um, the PC game No More Room in Hell which is like you know, the slow zombie version of this almost where it's very melee focused yeah yeah I played yeah. that last year I forgot about that till you just said it oh my yeah, god yeah yeah I mean that's, <laughs> that's been going on for years so it's like yeah so yeah the, they were like the two things I was like really into you know in terms of that and you know that I played online a lot then with the same problems and it just felt special and different and so it wasn't i never really got like a good time playing this online ever really even now of course because who's playing really there's not many people around so he's back to sort of doing the the uh single player stuff but even then you know it's such a great sign that i think it works well with or without people you know i i think when we talk about those comparison points with different games, a lot of those just wouldn't work, I think. And then because they rely so heavily on people and being of a certain skill set and having a teamwork that isn't always going to be there, especially if you've got strangers involved, which is like 90% of people's experience, I'd imagine, you, yeah, you are setting yourself up for a fall because you are going into it with a flawed idea of what the game is going to be like. You, you need that balance. And I think... Having something in the background that is pushing and pulling the game in a way that's comfortable and helps you out is to the benefit of um, making a game work on all levels. And it goes back to what we were saying about you know the way those games have gone and become more complex, you know, more whiz bangs and doodles and whatever that are going on in them, where yeah, you could strip it all away and make the most basic thing. And like Back for Blood, I think the biggest problem there when you look at it now and especially since is Warner Bros. You know, and everything they had to do with the game. I mean, look at everything they've done with any big game they've had. It's like you can see the signs of what they do to the games that make you think, I think this might have been a different game 
you know, if it had come out in a different era, you know, or not been with that company mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so it's a miracle it even came out. I mean, we, we saw what happened with Turtle Rock the first time with, you know, with uh, Evolve and mm-hmm. the way that all turned out. I mean, as much as there was slight hubris in terms of like, we can change the world with this game and like, you know, and they weren't wrong. I mean, someone went and did it later, but, you know, it, they had what they needed. It was the problem with that game was very much the same problem people had with Back for Blood was just the way it was packaged and presented was like that's not gonna work in the long term. You're gonna have people look at it and go, "Well, you're not what you're saying you are." And in mm. fact, you're quite gaudy and gross and a bit like <laughs> those other things that are coming out like that. And it isn't the game's fault necessarily; it's the the marketing like that. And I think one of the most telling things with that was having like a big budget cast, you know, and like, oh, look, we got this name in here, not like that. Which is great because I got to interview Barbara Crampton for that. So that was like <laughs> good by me, you know. Nice. But, yeah, that's it. So I was happy. Um, but all the same, it's like you don't need that really for a game like that. It's like it, it, it's very much uh, reminiscent of what we see in like um, modern CG or animated adventures for kids and movies and stuff. Well, they'll go with the celebrity voice cast rather than people who can do voice acting. You know, like mm-hmm. that. It's yeah, you, you can tell the difference in how the approach and the vision and what works for things. And um, so, yeah, as much as Back for Blood's getting mentioned, probably more than Left for Dead at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, I don't think it's entirely the developer's fault that it went the way it did. I still think it's one of the better examples overall, even with all that baggage that it carries. You know, you brought up um, No More Room in Hell, which reminded me of the fact that reason why Left 4 Dead was such a big hit with myself and my friend group was the fact that it was the first time we had seen runner zombies in a game, which, you know, was like a huge deal because my generation of my buddies and I grew up on, uh, you know, the Dawn of the Dead remake. And then we had the 28 Days Later movie that we all loved and everything. And so it was like, oh, this is like ratcheting things up to a degree. And to see a game that channeled that same level of energy... And then, you know, that kind of ties back into the AI director and the fact that every time you'd hear one of those howls and knew a horde was coming, it was that pants shitting moment every single time. And, you know, we on the show, we make a point not to really talk about horror games in the sense of like, how scary is this? Or this was the scariest moment type of thing. But, you know, that was legitimately a, like a terrifying aspect of Left 4 Dead. And, you know, granted, you play enough of something, it's kind of like, oh, the implication of a horde coming and fucking up our current run but, you know, generally speaking, the first few times when you're trying to anticipate where, you know, 30 to 50 zombies are going to burst through, which door, the one on the left, the one on the right, somebody's healing, somebody's reloading. There's only two of us. There's three doors type of situations. And the fact, again, coming back to the randomized nature of some of the layouts and then item location and where you're going to encounter certain special infected in these things like that made matches very intense in a way that previously I don't think any I wasn't necessarily even playing a lot of horror uh, multiplayer games at that point. Um, but I think that, you know, that aspect made this game incredibly appealing from that standpoint, but also, and I wrote about it for my column for um, this week for dread XP about the special infected and the fact that, you know, anybody that didn't, that came to left for dead later has never played left for dead is probably listening to this and being like, well, like the special infected types are like, you see those in every type of game, but like, Left 4 Dead was the one that I think really did set an industry standard in terms of, you know, having a special, mon- let's call them special monsters in terms of the broad strokes for horror multiplayer gaming. But, you know, like the one that vomits on you that then you take acid damage or one that's able to 
you know, pull you away from the group or one that's able to pin people down. Like they're very, again, I keep coming back to the simplicity of this game. Each one of the infected specials, their ability is pretty one note, but the multitude of ways that you can utilize those, especially like when you get into the competitive side of things in that simplicity, people can begin to string together these combos that can, you know, basically completely kill a survivor in the right hands of different people. And I think for me, that was also what in coming back to the game this week was so surprising was just like the ways in which you can kind of layer all of these things together. When you're playing with people that know what they're doing or something like that, you guys are actually communicating like those very simplistic things can end up being devastating in the right hands. And I think that's one of those aspects. Again, when you talk about why Valve games feel so timeless when you come back to them after, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in some cases, they feel like just at, it's clearly a game that was ahead of its time, whether or not the game was kind of being championed in the moment of when it was released. Um, because it's just one of those things you come back and it, you know, it's like riding a bike. It takes five minutes and you're like, oh yeah, this is why this was such a big deal. And then, you know, three hours have gone by and I should have been doing something else, but I'm running through, you know, no mercy again for the 10,000th time. Yeah, the, the only thing that doesn't really age well, at least on Xbox, you can probably reconfigure the controls on PC. I think on Xbox you can't, though. So that takes like eight minutes of me getting used to it again because like crouch is, I think, LB and yeah, to bash weird. them is LT <laughs> and reload is B, not X. So like a lot of that was sort of counterintuitive to like what would soon become the the vast majority use like controller scheme which was like the call of duty scheme basically everyone kind of mm. just adopted that like if you're making a first person shooter it better be the same button layout as call of duty after 2007 so <laughs> and like left for dead didn't really do that um so that like even this morning that was like the one thing that i had to like remind myself of but yeah i mean there's really nothing else about it that like like i said even the visuals I mean, it's not, you know, it's not gorgeous, but it, it it's not ugly despite being 15 years old. And um, oh, I was glad, Jay, too, you said, you know, how we, if someone new came to it and they look at it and they say, well, yeah, I've seen Special Infected before. I've, I've seen, you know, even perhaps those exact archetypes before. Mm -hmm. And you said, like, well, it's because they did it. I I make that same point um, slightly. It's a horror thing, but slightly off topic, but with, like, the Twilight Zone, you know, yeah. so many... Uh, so many horror sci-fi sci series, whether it's an anthology or just like a, a twist that some one-off story might use. And it's like, yeah. And you go watch the Twilight Zone. It's like, oh, I've seen that, you know, a hundred times. So the guy was crazy the whole time. Oh, she was dead the whole time, whatever. It's like, no, no. Twilight Zone did it first. That's, yeah. that, that's why you've seen it 12 times because they did it. And then it's been done every year for the last 50 years. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I totally... I. I totally see what you mean. And I do agree with like left for dead too. Cause you know, maybe there might be a game that did, I mean, of course it's a very video gamey thing to have like enemy classes like that. Um, I'm sure that predates left for dead, but in the context of this like subgenre that left for dead is basically birthing in 2008, um, unbeknownst to valve at the time, perhaps. Um, yeah, we've seen it so many times over and over again. And like you said, like summer's so shamelessly like the same thing. Cause he, there's, there's only so many directions you can go, you know, well, we yeah. need one that pins. Yeah. So it's going to look like the hunter. We need one that pulls you away. So it's going to look like the smoker. We need one that explodes on you. So I guess that's our boomer. And it's like, even the, uh, in that feature. And I did, I think it was the folks from uh, world war Z 
They yeah. said they mm-hmm. sat down. We we're like, we're trying to make a zombie game, a co-op zombie game. And I think the direct quote is like, there's only so many directions you can go with that. So like midway through development, they're like, well, this is starting to look a lot like Left 4 Dead, isn't it? <laughs> so they basically had to like find ways to like stand out from that at that point, which again is when the, those added layers of complexity come in. It's like, no, we're not Left 4 Dead. We're taking what they did and putting our spin on it. It's like... I don't know if it needed a spin. I think maybe if anything, just have Valve remaster it or make maybe one more and maybe that would be awesome as well. But honestly, maybe maybe just remaster uh, the first two and we're good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think that's why, you know, when you look at so many other horror competitive multiplayer games, um, the barrier to entry can be quite high and like shocking high in some case. I'm thinking of something like Hunt Showdown, right? And oh, it's like God, there yeah. is a great deal of complexity <laughs> to how each of those characters plays. And, you know, when you're thinking about the monsters and stuff, like the layers of strategy you need for attack, granted, it's not a great comparison because they're two very different style games, but I'm I'm getting more to the point of like, when you have these drastic, I suppose, modifiers or abilities that have to be mastered to actually be effective, you're going to have a very niche circle. And granted, something like Hunt has now found an audience that's very hardcore that now is having a much bigger audience and fandom around it than initially. Uh, it had on launch and even probably within the first year of that game. But I keep coming back to, again, the simplicity of Left 4 Dead. And that simplicity with how effective even newbies can be with the special infected and competitive, right? It's like the abilities are easy to master and they can do just enough or they can kind of sow just enough seeds of chaos, basically, uh, to throw the survivors off of their game momentarily. It's Maybe it's not going to bring their current run to an end Maybe in the long run, it won't end up having a great deal of impact on how the rest of the match plays out. But like minute to minute, moment to moment, people, no matter their level of skill level, can be effective. I mean, with the boomer, you could have no idea what you're doing, but if you get in one perfect projectile vomit spew in, that can completely derail a current engagement. And that could potentially turn the tide of an entire uh, encounter. And you know, I think that having the bar as low as it is in terms of just like getting somebody familiar with the fundamentals is an aspect of this game that kind of just like it's from every aspect from whether it's the infected to playing as a survivor to, you know, even just the kind of, I suppose the objectives, right? Cause the objectives again, in the first left for dead, it's find the next safe room or it's touch this thing. That's going to make a lot of noise and then survive <laughs> until, you know, it clears and whatnot. Um, so at the same time though, like that just lets more people come in and for somebody like me that, doesn't play a great deal of multiplayer games the older I get. When I come across one that, you know, is easy to get into, I can be effective while still knowing I have a great deal that I still need to master. I don't know. It like it builds this sort sense of confidence that then makes me want to come back again and again and again. Um, which, you know, sometimes when I play or try a competitive multiplayer game, it's like, oh well, if I know I need to dedicate this many hours to mastering this combo between these three abilities and whatnot. It's why I can't get into dead by daylight, basically. Like I've enjoyed brief stints of that, but like to truly be great at that game, I feel like you need to master these abilities in ways that if you don't put in the time, it's not something that you can kind of casually enjoy. At least that's my impression on it. But um, we are going to take a quick break and we come back, we'll chat a little bit more about the survivor side of things, some of those game modes, and then how the sequel kind of, revamped and introduced some changes to the Left 4 Dead uh, formula. 
And we're back from our break. And one thing that we haven't really chatted about is the survivor side of things. And again, I keep saying the simplicity of Left 4 Dead and why it's so remarkable. But, you know, really with the survivor side of things, and, you know, it's no surprise Valve, you know, has had a history of shooters, so they clearly know how to do that. Um, You know, the shooting in this game was incredibly gratifying, I found, always. And, you know, I've mentioned before the break this idea of like building confidence in a multiplayer focused game. And, you know, the fact that the runner zombies in this, which are what you're encountering 90% of the time, the fact they can get killed in one or two shots, like chewing through hordes of those zombies builds confidence. But then it's almost kind of this false sense of confidence because the AI director is taking notice of that. And they're like, oh, you think you're like going on this crazy tear? Well, here's a boomer that's going to puke in your face and completely throw you off your game. Or I'm going to throw a hunter and they're going to kind of pin down the person that was trying to heal everybody. Um, and I guess, you know, for you, Mark, like how is playing the survivor side of things? Yeah. So one, one of the things I noticed when I was playing this morning, probably noticed this before, but it must have left my memory and came back. Um, and it was really satisfying is when when you're playing as a survivors, even against the AI, the uh, it's hard to explain. I, I almost wish I could show you a clip, but the AI is like they're they're smart enough to like play like a human. So even I mean, you know, at times, and at least with the enemies, I know Neil was saying earlier that the the cooperative AI isn't isn't always great, and I feel like that's always the case in these games, even this yeah. one, which is the best of them. But uh, <laughs> when when you're you know it's PVE, like I had this bout with a with a boomer on the uh, the boathouse finale this morning at the end of death toll, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was like hiding from me. And I was like, it, it was so interesting. It, it was like, he, he knew my, you know, my field of vision and I could hear him beneath me and he's wanting to spray me, but he doesn't want to pop out. And it's, it was just, it was so interesting, like for any game to do that, but for a game this old to do that, I was like, it, it really makes playing as a survivors, even against the, you know, the, the AI, like, it just makes it stick out again. And it's, you know, it's, we're going to keep using the word, I guess, but it's, it's such a simple thing. And like, I don't know. I, I just looked at it and all, I was like, how are they doing that? Because they've got me on my heels now playing as I was thinking I was bill. I just jumped into a random match on Xbox and I got, I got bill. I usually, I'd, prefer, I'd prefer Lewis, but bill's cool too. But, uh, <laughs> and I was just like, wow, they've really got me on my heels here. Um, and yeah, and, and sorry if that's more about the the AI than the the survivors, but I just that that moment has stuck with me so much, and I, and I think it does apply just because it's like I I couldn't just mindlessly go through that. You know, I played this game so many times. I played that level. I can't tell you how many times. It's probably my favorite finale in the game, uh, just because of the way you can like pull them into the water right there, and uh, <laughs> just I played it so many times, and it just felt it still felt fresh to be the guy like you know ducking in in the corner hoping that the the right angle of like the smoker can't grab me and if if a spitter comes out am i am i off the ground or whatever and just yeah it's, it's such a constantly thoughtful process i guess um yeah i mean it's a perfect opportunity to bring up that example because that speaks again to the fact that no matter how many times it's a game you know that is built to be replayed constantly you can still have those moments. And if you don't have AI that is creating those little moments of, you know, whether it's tension or it's just keeping you on your toes, that's kind of the best compliment you could give to it. Right. Because if it's AI that you can feel like, Oh, I can just kind of like piss through this and just not really worry about anything. Then what's the incentive to keep replaying this? Um, 
unless you know you're just a masochist and like to try to fight as many tanks as possible or something. But you know, it is the type of thing that, um, granted, the AI is probably quite literally able to see you know the player's cone of vision and then the distance, so then they can kind of realize, oh, we have to have this boomer backpedal. But I totally know what you mean because there were several instances where, and it speaks to like the sound design, which I think is phenomenal also in this and the fact that you really can get a read on enemies. And this is a typical thing with um, Valve games specifically. You know, we talked about uh, Half-Life for its 25th anniversary last week and how those, uh, the aliens, you get a sense of their alert status based on specific noises that they make. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing is true to a certain degree with Left 4 Dead and basically all Valve games um, in the sense that like you can detect when they have you in their sights or when they're just in the immediate area. And, you know, those tells can be huge cues for the survivors and that factors into strategy. You know, as much as it's a game where you're playing with other people and you're talking while you're playing, it was definitely one of those games that I wasn't playing like Call of Duty with my buddies where we're bullshitting. I was like, <laughs> all right, we need to like stop talking a little bit and start listening a little bit more. It was also the first game I introduced my friends to the concept of like playing with headphones. They were like, oh, what are you like playing with headphones for? And I was like, well, the reason I know when stuff is around the corner is because I've got fucking headphones on. Um, and it's the type of thing, though, that, you know, to build off of the AI, you know, sometimes I would be in like one of the more rural areas and I would hear a boomer, but I wouldn't be able to see a boomer. And it was the thing where I was like, is it just stuck on an environment or something? Is it like, did it fall off a cliff and it's just lingering down there or something? But no, it was that it was biding its time like around a tree or a cluster of bushes or something for the perfect moment to pounce. And yeah, you know, AI sometimes doesn't age the best, but I don't think Left 4 Dead is an example of, you know, poor AI or AI that's, you know, not aged as gracefully as it could have because I played primarily, you know, single player. Um, I didn't play a great deal with other people just because of how my schedule was or whatever, but like didn't have a moment where I was like, yeah, you know, the AI is not as all that is cracked up to be like it used to be. I was like, no, I felt that, especially on higher difficulties, it was the thing where it was like a good amount of challenge. AI is challenging, not too, too punishing, but at the same time, you know, if I just kind of willy nilly run as fast as I can through an environment, it's going to be a pretty short run. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think even when I was saying earlier about it not being great having like AI teammates, like, it's even playing it now it's like it's not awful you know and you think with the years that have passed that it would be worse somehow you know like that because you've got all this great examples of modern better versions of it but i think as we've kind of alluded to there aren't really anything like that it's just a, an inherent problem with that and i think like i said the other parts of the game make sure that it doesn't really matter you know if, if you're doing it because the game adjusts to you in that perfect way doesn't it yeah, the uh, when you're talking about the sound cues, I I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such a it's it's not even like subtle, but because of like the AI director, and then I think a lot of people like like the characters themselves, you know. Yes, yeah. it, it it almost becomes like a, a fourth, fifth, or sixth like highlight of this game. But the sound cues are so important. Like when you're talking about you know the boomer that's lurking and, and waiting for that right moment to pounce and and splash on you from behind or whatever. Uh, you can similarly you, you can sometimes hear the tank like that low growl before the music you know the the, the tank music so iconic too but yeah. before that kicks off and you've really like crossed that threshold where he's going to come out and reveal himself like 
sometimes you can hear him growling and it's like ah oh, shit like <laughs> probably when we open this door it's go time and like it's just it's a very good you know for for a horror game that isn't really trying to be like scary in a horror sense um it's 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 a very cool moment repeatable moment but always like different to you know different circumstances on different runs with maybe different people and it's just like shit i, I hear the tank you guys like you gotta like <laughs> let them know like yeah, to the extent that like more so on verses where like it might have been more competitive you could go into the options and turn on like closed captioning and it would say like tank growl like boomer spawn mm. it would like tell you and it was almost like you know it was it was became like a, a left 4 dead meta of of 15 years ago you know for people who wanted to get you know, extra competitive <laughs> with it like okay they just spawned a, a spitter a jockey mm. and, a, and a hunter like now we know um but yeah those the the music of course itself is 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 so memorable with the witch music and the tank mm. music but yeah just those little like those those spawn intro noises it's almost like like a phone notification that you'd get yeah it's like okay <laughs> spitter somewhere watch out watch your toes quite literally i like, can't remember where i read it but there was a those. similar system for the music that rivaled um the ai director for you know enemy ai but it was in terms of like getting a feel on where the action is in a current match the soundtrack would match that, which made it, you know, that gave a game that has very little story or narrative focus, like a cinematic feel. And, you know, there's, of course, the presentation of all the different uh, campaigns being like movies with different acts and these things. And like that was one more feature that kind of was really magical in capturing a cinematic feel for a game that was about shooting zombies in the face that didn't have a, much story to it. Um, and those little things like that always just speaks to like Valve's level of production with a lot of their games, regardless of if story is the main focus. Um, and something like this, I think, you know, Counter-Strike and Day Defeat, whatnot, withstanding, like this was one of their lesser narrative focused games. And yet it didn't feel like, I don't really know how to describe it other than like in arcade mode or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it still felt like, oh, we're going through this story of sorts, even if there's not lots of exposition or we're not getting to the root of what's actually going on with the zombies and stuff. Um, but like you said, in terms of the characters and even the survivors having these little sound bites, um, that gave a great deal of personality to these characters that, you know, we get bits and pieces of who they are. But in those bits and pieces, it's so indicative of just their personalities and their quips and these things that you feel like you have a better grasp of who they are than you probably actually do. Yeah, they they and maybe even the sequel like does this better perhaps because i i feel like of the eight playable characters across both games probably ellis sticks out as like the most who who got like the most like sure. character work in his voice lines you know yeah with his his stories of his buddy keith and everything but even in the first one like you've you know by looking at them sort of what each of their vibes are or each of the vibes is rather and then yeah just through those voice lines not only do you learn who they are like lewis with his tie and he and uh his i mean i love his voice but he you know he you learn that he was like the office worker and zoe's the college student and then more visually obvious is like francis and bill who's like the the veteran and the biker dude um but just the way they played off each other the way that they you know i mean they were they were survivors together and they came from very different backgrounds obviously and but they still kind of like gelled together in that way and maybe joked with each other sometimes even when like you like accidentally shoot a teammate <laughs> yeah. or something the way they like tell them to cut the shit is like it's very like 
you know, like we're on the same side here. Let's, you know, let's, let's button it up. People We're trying to get out of this alive. You know, it was never like, I don't know. It wasn't adversarial. They were just from four different pockets of society, but the, the way they come together and you learn who they are. Um, and like you said, like not just who they are, but like vague details of what they're going through, because of course there's those like the iconic mm-hmm. messages and the safe rooms and the walls and everything, but also like, Oh, come on. We're, we're uh, if we, follow this way we'll, we'll get to riverside and the next ch- campaign starts and it says like welcome to riverside and you, you just get these little like inklings of like place and time and it's like i don't know why the zombies are here i mean zombie media loves <laughs> not explaining that anyway so that's that's you know that's perfect and then but you know it's it's almost like any town usa you don't really know exactly where it is you, you know in the second one more so it's like okay this is the south um but it just it never i don't know it, ju- it just feels like you could put those people anywhere and like, it's just, I don't know. It's just a joy to get an understanding of who they are and to listen to them, talk to each other. And then just try to get those little like hints of what they're going through beyond like, you know, in, in between those loading screens, it feels like a lot happens and they're talking about it. And it's, it's interesting in in a world that's like so many games just try to be movies, Mm. but then this one like literally takes like the movie poster concept but doesn't doesn't do a lot else with it in terms of like directly explained narrative and it just feels like you come away with like a lot regardless or you know at least enough to fill in the blanks in a way that's like enjoyable yeah i think it's also an example of what valve does best with their writing in games and that they ask a lot of interesting or intriguing questions without necessarily giving you a great deal of answers which kind of gets keeps you going it's part of what you know with portal i loved so much about both of the games, maybe the sequel had a few more answers in store, but it was the type of thing where it's like, I want to know how this world operates. I want to know who's behind this class. I want to know the purpose of what's going on. And, you know, you'd see the scribblings much like in Left 4 Dead. You'd see those in Portal on those little uh, nooks and crannies where like people basically got behind the curtain, if you will, and were scratching messages and things like it. It asks a lot more questions than it necessarily always answered, which I think kind of kept me going along with it and wanting to keep going whether or not I ended up getting an answer to any one question because of the fact that five or six more were going to be asked basically in the next area or the next zone or something like that. Yeah. I think another reason they end up being quite memorable, you know, characters and locations and like even the backstories themselves is because the games came out. They were like, you know, in the early days of YouTube and there were lots of compilations and uses of the source engine modifying and things like that. And they became like, you know, living, breathing memes, effectively. Um, I remember a lot of my early sort of YouTube watching was the sort of gamer poop style stuff where, you know, you, you um, the Gmod idiot box was one of my favorite ones where you'd have characters from all sorts of source engines things put in every meme that was on the internet. I the Hadaway song, you know, thing from SNL or Night of the Roxbury, things like that. And it, it made those characters sort of go beyond the games and like there was always like little in jokes about like little tales and you know the stuff of the witch and things like that and you you get that being made into these things that are shared around beyond people who know what the context is and so they become pop culture in their own way and it's like that hadn't really happened before for games like that i think and you know for for valve especially you know half-life 2 was just before all that happened so 
this was like the first time they really got involved in that and they became like an internet centric game i mean and paul went and took it into fucking space literally in the sequel <laughs> um but yeah, with the whole cake is a lie thing became like the first big like video game meme thing so i think that definitely played a part in making them feel special and perhaps possibly why many of the games that try to emulate it have kind of missed the point a bit you know there's an organic nature to how the game became as big as it did that went beyond just like people talking to each other going, yeah i played this game it's really good like that blah blah it's like the internet made the game bigger and better and the characters became you know as you know, one dimensional as they may seem on the surface more people discovered more about them because of that I think for Left 4 Dead, they're sort of like the cake is a lie thing. It's probably like pills. I remember pills. Pills, yeah. Like pills here. <laughs> like, like that was that was like always this kind of like internet meme type of a thing. Um, Lewis and Bill, yeah. especially, yeah. they love yeah. pills and all those little YouTube videos. Those two, I don't know. Zoe and uh, Francis weren't as yeah. big, but yeah, those two. <laughs> so one thing that we haven't chatted a great deal about is that versus mode, which I think is probably the most unique aspect of left for dead and that it took that concept of single player and then just you know allowed a competitive team to take control of those special infected um and it, you know the utilized a balancing that i thought was really ingenious that i had forgotten about until i was refamiliarizing myself with the game this week and that you know survivors once they're dead they're dead but with the special infected you know they have that respawn timer and again you know coming back to this idea that when you have something that is as finely tuned as Left 4 Dead is in competitive mode, and the fact that you are allowing people that you're giving basically special infected these abilities that can be devastating at times, but at the same time, you're burdening them with a respawn. And also the fact that most of them can be killed in a couple of shots. You know, that is an incredibly difficult balance that if you make one of those special infected too strong, all of a sudden that completely throws everything off because you have that problem that we talked about with the AI director where it's like, okay, if they throw five hunters at you or whatever, all of a sudden this just feels artificially difficult. And you can have the same issue in competitive play if you have one side obviously being more powerful than the other side and one side not having the luxury of uh, respawning at all. Yeah, I, I my, my brother uh, likes the competitive elements in games much more than me he gets really sweaty for you know i mean even even call of duty he's big into that and i i left that series years ago but so after i think after you know we got all the achievements and everything and we found ourselves playing a lot of verses and it's funny to play it. it it feels like like i wonder how much of the ai director isn't like perfectly ported over because it almost feels like you're peeking behind the curtain with the way that you have to spawn out of sight you know you can't just drop in front of them you have to kind of get somewhere to hide and then kind of make your advance on them and, and try to approach them tactically so you don't immediately get exploded as the boomer from 30 feet away and do nothing for your team um and then even like the respawn timers i wonder it it just feels so much like the regular game except now you're playing a full team and like you said, it's the same rules apply. You can't all be hunters at once. It, it, it knows the game acknowledges like who's out there alive right now, so, which means, you know, that limits who you can become because it, they don't want to let that imbalance creep in. And I, it's, it's interesting. It's again, so it's so simple because 
if that really is just how the game works, except it's, it's almost like they flipped a switch. They're like, okay, now it's now it's PvP. It's like it, everything's the same, like all, whatever you know, algorithm they're using to determine all this stuff. Like it's it's exactly the same. And then to the extent that even as the monster as is infected, you know, you're playing as these big gross monsters, but you still very much rely on the cohesion of, of the, of the four, you know, if, if I'm the boomer, I got to get in there tactically and I got to spray these people or, you know, because if they kill me, then I've got like, you know, whatever it was a 20 or 30 second countdown before I can get in there and help again. It's like in that in between and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm itching to get back in, but I'm, I'm stuck behind that basically a penalty timer for me at least in that instance when i've totally blown it <laughs> and uh and it's like all the meanwhile you you see them making progress you know it's like ah if i was in there right now they'd probably you know two of them would have been down i would have killed this guy but instead you're like spectating and they're you know they're making progress to the level it's like ah, god damn it like <laughs> so you become so it's, it's like the same sensation but now you're like these just these gross monsters with some like some some really cool like abilities that you know overall probably take uh like there's i think there's a higher skill ceiling there you know to to learn how to pounce with the hunter or to you know to understand like how far can i spit with this spitter or i guess the spitter is a sequel only one i keep doing that but because <laughs> <laughs> now it's all like one game in my head I, I forget that the original was just smoker hunter and uh boomer and then you know tank and witch of course but Sorry, I was interrupting you. Oh no, I was just going to say. I mean, it's it's easy to conflate the two because now they are quite literally, you know, one experience. And um, that was the thing that I was most surprised about when I went back to play through. So I spent the first half of the week just playing vanilla Left 4 Dead, and then I went back and played Left 4 Dead Two and re-experienced all that content while still playing some of the content from Left 4 Dead One, but in Left 4 Dead Two. And you know, that was something that I was going to kind of kick off for when we chat about. Uh, a little bit about Left 4 Dead 2 and the fact that, you know, they have a great deal of additions. But I was surprised in the sense that, like, the things that are being added, specifically the special infected types, they don't feel like they are, I don't know, it doesn't feel as if they are obviously not from the original game. You obviously know that they weren't from the original game. But I mean, the way that they are designed, the way in which they have these specific abilities, and, you know, the ways in which they can kind of, like, cause chaos within a group of survivors it doesn't it, it doesn't feel as if like they included new special infected that completely change how the game is played right which can sometimes be an issue when you're talking about sequels or additional content or something like that you want to include content that adds new strategy but doesn't kind of like rewrite the entire experience if you will um, and so with something like the spitter I was surprised at how that how natural it feels to be included in that sort of rogues gallery of special infected. Good that they didn't, you know, put the jockey in Mardi Gras V's or whatever, you know, because <laughs> the second one is so is so uh, like Southern focus. You know, it's got more of like a, a setting. The first one, I don't know if they ever really imply Georgia at the end, don't they? Of that game. At the end of the first yeah. one? I just know it's East Coast. That's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of just feels like it could be like new york yeah. or just anywhere virginia maybe and then yeah i guess they're making their way down south because of as we learn in the sequel those storylines cross over eventually mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah the um, dlc campaign that was it that's where they go into georgia so that's it oh that's yeah the maybe the sacrifice when yeah. i think canonically bill dies which that was like the most story they'd ever done i was actually <laughs> looking at the steam charts for it today it, it popped off in a huge way 
in 2013, uh, like right at the end of 2013, I didn't confirm, but I'm, I'm guessing that's when they did that final DLC or something. Cause to this day, that was like, other than launch, that was like its biggest, like post launch jump up in players, um, was right around then. So that, that must've been when they killed Bill, but, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now I'm thinking about that DLC. Well, like, I guess that's a good point for us to jump off and talk about some of the, you know, new additions or most notable additions that Left 4 Dead 2 introduced mm. uh, for you, at least, Mark. Like, what do you, for you, what stands out as being one of the more significant features that was included in that sequel? I, I think the, the most important one to me, like the new specials are cool. New campaigns are obviously like a must, especially with the way that they did it a year later, which kind of like stirred up some trouble for them at first. Um, but the, the biggest thing, and like today, maybe this would just been, this would have been a patch, but um, nonetheless, you know, it's years since I bought it again. So I don't, I'm not holding a grudge over that other $60 or whatever. So uh, I think it's the, the melee weapons. Those are, if you play vanilla left for dead, like it, that's the one thing that I'm like, you you really need something because when they're really hammering on you up close and you got eight of them and the, the directional hit markers are like doing a complete circle mm-hmm. around you and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you just have like the pistol or I think even back then you could dual wield the, so yeah. two, two pistols. Um, like it's, it's just not enough. But to have the axe or the baseball bat or the katana or something like th- those – that worked incredibly well. And is again, it's still so simple. You pick it up. They basically all have the same stats. I know like you can look at like the left for dead wiki and you know, the, the Katana is slightly faster, but the bat has a little bit more range. Like there's very minor tweaks. It almost seems like accidents of like the assets though. I don't think they were going for like stats or anything. It was just like, yeah, the ax isn't as long as the Katana. Not to interrupt you, but that is at the same time, an example of how you do that properly, right? It's that you are given that information, that feedback that, Oh, this has more reach or that might be faster from actually just using the weapons and playing the game, Mm -hmm. not giving somebody a statistic or a pop-up that says yeah, yeah. this does two percent more damage or whatever the fuck sorry go on <laughs> oh no I, that's i was pretty much segueing out anyway i talked too much but i i, yeah, I was saying uh yeah it, it just it just fits like that was kind of the one thing like i don't i can't remember if at the time i was like man it'd be nice to have a baseball bat in this game <laughs> but so when, when it comes along you're like of course mm-hmm. of, of course melee weapons are here now and that that's so important and that's you know in retrospect that's what makes if you play the first one now in the framework of the second one in the way that all exists in one game now basically if you just buy the second one you kind of just have the first as long as you you're okay with playing with all those upgrades um like the new specials and, and the melee weapons and stuff it just it just retroactively like makes the first one better too i i think anyway. yeah it's much the same way that um IO Interactive did with Hitman and one, two, three, and just like each game then added the previous game with the new stuff and made it a cohesive whole. And it's like, I don't think that's a really smart approach to it, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, this week I bought like the original Left 4 Dead on Xbox as well, because I already had Left 4 Dead too. It's like, cause I was like, well, I know it's different. I just want to make sure how different, you know? And it was like, I always like that too, that you can go back and find like the original version in that way. And I do think it's better for having gone through the Left 4 Dead 2 Ringer review call. I forgot to mention also the, um, and maybe you were about to say it, Jay, so sorry to jump in, but the 
the the first one as much as i love every campaign the second one messed with the structure of those campaigns mm. more like in the first one mm. every finale is travel a bit get to this final holdout spot and then wait for the rescue vehicle to arrive basically mm. and you go through a couple waves of tanks and hordes and everything the second one you know they had most iconically perhaps the parish which is like the finale for the whole thing when it's like we're not we're not like camping down we're not like hunkering down at a boathouse or, or mercy hospital's rooftop now we're going a to b across this bridge that's like going to collapse in a few minutes mm. and we need to get the hell off of here as, as soon as we can and the zombies are coming the other way so we're, it's like we're swimming upstream um i mean that one was awesome they did like dead center where it's like we have to collect these gas cans and fill up this car and and you know drive drive the show vehicle off the mall's show floor or whatever yeah. <laughs> they did a good job of like tweaking objectives you know in in ways that like i don't dread any of them you know there's there's still no campaign that i dislike i mean if anything the only thing that ever annoyed me was when one one of them wasn't or some of them weren't like five chapters yeah hmm. i was like oh, I, I always want them all to be longer i don't know it doesn't even necessarily make them better but like i remember crash course was like a dlc campaign with two chapters a couple others have like three or four i was like oh, give me the five i like all five <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they just they diversified the way you got through the world without ever like abandoning what worked. It was super smart. Yeah. I think the voice work was better as well. I mean, I know they made it like bigger and more voice lines and all that stuff, but I just think it felt more natural. You know, it, it was one of those small little evolutions they did between games, you know, that I don't know. I, I connected with those characters in a way that I didn't so much of the first ones, but they kind of felt like, like I said before, like internet, pastiches these things that became big because of yeah, memes if you will kind of earlier i started to touch on it with with ellis and and now that you mentioned like the way that the internet kind of took hold of it and made it their own and kind of colored in some blank spots that that valve deliberately left blank yeah um in the sequel yeah I, I guess you're right they they did kind of like color in more of those spots themselves because like with ellis specifically the way like very often you'd start a level and it's like this one time my buddy Keith and he'd start <laughs> telling you a story about Keith and then inevitably someone you I think what how it works is you could basically listen to him get through the whole voice line and then someone interrupts him at the very yeah. end or as soon as someone opens that safe room door they cut him off sooner so you always hear someone go like Ellis can, can this wait <laughs> is now the best time and it's, it's, yes. always, it's always so good it's like okay he's, he's such a friendly dude like he just, I don't know, he just wanted to tell you about his buddy Keith. But yeah, that that became like, that that feels like it's in response to what you were saying earlier, Neil, where it's like these people took, you know, Gary's Mod videos and made all these weird YouTube shorts. Yeah. And it's like, a, and now they're like, well, why don't we make some? And we'll start this weird hillbilly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I loved about it. And I did, you know, it isn't until sort of in retrospect thinking back now, it's like, one of those things that made like Oxenfree so like exciting was that it kind of resurrected that, you know, in that terms of like dialogue that felt natural and like interrupting mm. stances and stuff and like that. It, yeah, I really like that. But I think the other thing that really does it for me, and I think it does it for me with like all like zombie sort of media, something about the South uh, that works for me. I think probably The Walking mm. Dead's like been a big part of that. I obviously acknowledge that, but. I think of stuff like Hunt Showdown as well, like that just, the idea of something about the swampy South and, you know, the history of like the zombie and voodoo and things like that, having, mm. you know, connections 
as well. I always make it feel like a more natural fit for zombies in general, even if they aren't, you know, they are like miles away from the original idea at this point. Yeah, it, it just works. There's something about this hot, sweaty place that, you know, you can almost smell the, de- the decay of everything <laughs> like that. It, it just feels like the perfect place for things to go to hell, you know, like that. And there's just so much media that sort of backs that up and, you know, like the, this, the whole, you know, satanic devil stuff and cult stuff and it all, yeah, it's got a horror vibe to it. I don't know, you know, I don't live in America. So, you know, I, I, again, I'm going very much on a stereotypical idea of the South, you know, like, but, you know, so it, mine is very much media-based. But at the same time, I get it, you know, like that. There's something about that sort of temperate environment where you're just like, oh. Yeah, I get it. I could get how this would just feel like a very different atmosphere to most horror where it's all about, oh, it's dark and there's things in the corners like it's just something about oppressive heat, you know, muggy, horrible things and, and just like constant dead things coming after you. And I think it's those wide open spaces even in that as well that make it worse, you know, like that. I look at swamps and just think of like, the smell, you know, the smell, the decay, yeah, <laughs> like that. And it, again, it just feels like, yeah, like almost like it's home for that sort of thing. So I don't know, And I think media has helped in a big way for that. And you know, The Walking Dead, as I said, especially has made like the South be such a big part of that as well. Well, I think just after the original game, and it's not to, you know, it's not a knock against the original Left 4 Dead, but it's like, we in video games we're pretty well accustomed to you know rainy dark city streets yeah. woods these types of things and so when the sequel came out it if anything it was just exciting to get these much wider open environments but also the fact that they have that you know that bayou twang to them if you will right so it's giving you environments that you don't explore all that often in video games outside of this and like hitman right um and so it's just a nice change of pace, I think. And at the same time, it still feels like the, well, I know it does because I played it. The AI director still flourishes in those wider open environments at the same time, right? It wasn't that, oh, the AI director works best when it's in these tight contained spaces from the original maps. But if anything, it just shows how versatile it is. You know, there are obviously additions made to it and things over the course of the year in between both games and then on subsequent years of support that Left 4 Dead 2 would receive but there's, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's something about it too. The fact that, again, it's playing off of that movie poster idea that Mark was talking about earlier, where it's like, you're going to have a theme for this new film and each of the chapters is going to explore the setting of that theme in a variety of different ways. Um, and, you know, to your point, Mark, about the um, finales being slightly tweaked and the fact that it wasn't the typical, just like set piece, wait for the uh, rescue vehicle to come. It was like, oh no, there's actually more agency involved in securing that. Like that again was a cool way to play around with that formula of the four man squad. It's like, this will go a lot faster if two people cover and two people carry gas cans. But if we're playing on a higher difficulty and we've been blowing through enemies and the AI director is going to throw a bigger challenge at us, maybe we need three guns instead of two guns. And so there was a lot Mm. of versatility with that in a way that didn't necessarily feel like foreign to the overall concept in a way that was like, well, this doesn't really feel like Left 4 Dead. I never had that moment either where I was just like, oh no, this is a new set piece and it's more challenging, but it's still manageable if, again, you're relying on that communication and that, um, that uh, uh, yeah, play, working with your squad. 
Yeah, the I guess the only thing that that dead center in specific was uh, was the one when you collect all the gas cans from around the, around the mall. Yeah. I remember I remember some like you know some of those videos of the sort that Neil was mentioning online that kind of like jumped off the lore and kind of expanded on the characters and tried to make their own jokes and things. I, I remember that was a point of uh, of humor for one of them, making fun of you know the very video gamey idea of like why are there gas cans in 18 different corners of this mall? Like you could almost squint and be like, you know, generators or something in the post-apocalypse, but didn't, didn't really make sense in that way. And, but that was like the most video gamey thing in terms of like the level design, I guess. Yeah. Um, but even then, I, I mean, I, I didn't care. I didn't even think of it that way, honestly, probably because it's such a video gamey thing that I'd already seen it in so many other ways. But yeah, I guess it is kind of funny to be like, yeah, well, that mall was was pretty full of like gas canisters, <laughs> like on across three or four different floors. And but but yeah, you can't knock it because that level, the way like if you go up this stairwell, you can get as far as that corner mm-hmm. of that floor, but you can't get up to the third floor, so you got to come all the way back down. Like yeah, the strategy. So yeah, so well executed because it's that like you said, you do not want to get stuck like under a hunter in the wrong corner, on, you know, on the third floor, yeah. and everybody else is scattered it's like oh man like <laughs> they they just they just knew what they're doing I, I i feel like you know a lot of the other games that have tried this some sometimes they might even get like some level design elements right but just it's just with left for dead it's just when all those things come together you know the the little bit of story and the sound cues that teach you so much in a way that i feel like I mean, I'm a big Sea of Thieves fan, so I'm sure other games do it as well. But Sea of Thieves is very good about that, too. Like you learn so much about the game just from what you hear. Um, and it, it never really explicitly tells you or you pick up on it the more you play. And, and Left 4 Dead did that so well. And just, yeah, when you get the AI clicking, like literally no other game is able to do. Apparently, I don't that that's almost its own show is like. And that's kind of what I was asking those other devs when I wrote that feature was like, what is it that why is Left 4 Dead so timeless? And they basically all said what we've said today, which is like, it's simple. And for, you know, for better or worse, that wouldn't work today, but it worked back then was kind of their takeaway mm-hmm. uh, in most cases. And then, yeah, it was just the AI director. Like it understood pacing. It knew when to relent a little bit, when to when to put the pressure on. It knew which monsters to throw at you from which angles. And it just... I don't know. It just always, it just always clicks. It's crazy. I, 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 I play it today and have as much fun as, as I did in 2008. Yeah. I mean, that mission actually that you're bringing up, um, it's one I replayed this week like that. And it was like the best example of like taking the piss out of the, the AI for your co-op partners like that in single player. And the fact that it's kind of helpful that they do what they do. Because they won't go and find the fucking cans themselves, of course. So, right, yeah, yeah, they will at least keep around you and protect you. And what uh, the thing that needs to be sort of discussed when we talk about people playing together is this malevolence there. You know, that there's something about the way the game directs things and that it catches certain players' eyes and knows what they will do in any given situation. And that, you know, if you are doing a zombie game about surviving a zombie apocalypse, you have to have these moments, you know, if you're a multiplayer game, where people will betray each other without even realising it because 
they get themselves into a sticky situation and go, oh shit, like that, and they fuck it up. I mean, that, again, was like one of those really early things in terms of YouTube of videos of people who absolutely fuck everyone else over to, for themselves, <laughs> you know, like that. And it's perfect. You know, that, that was one of the things that made me fall in love with these games anyway, was that you would get people like that that would just take the coward's way out. You know, we see it so much in zombie media since then, you know, that that kind of character... And it happens in the game organically because people don't realize that they're being tested that way. And people will wander off and do their own thing and then realize and get stuck. And then it's like, well, fuck you. You can stay over there, that sort of thing. I love that. You know, and it's even now it's rare to get a game that captures that very particular essence. You know, that thing, you know, it's a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, dive into the cliches, dive into the ideas. That, that's what makes it great, you know, like that. It's like, yeah, helping each other out is great and people will do that. But it's one of the reasons why it works as a multiplayer game is that you have this chaos and disorder, even amongst people you know, you know, that it can go absolutely terribly wrong, you know, like that. Because someone will think very humanly about what their situation is and it will not be the same as the rest of you. And it will go very, very badly wrong. Or I, I do like the flip side too, though, when you, uh, you know, when you do want to work as a team yeah. and you do, you're trying to get everyone alive. Maybe, maybe somebody needs the achievement to beat it or something, or, you know, you just <laughs> don't want to see them die if they don't have to. And there's often those points, each, each campaign has like a couple of these where it's like, okay, we climb up these cars. And then once we step once we climb over this fence, like we cannot get back to the other side. Like that part of the map is gone to us. There's no like backtracking. We can only go as far as like this fence and we're not going to be able to climb back over. And especially in verses, but even it happens in PVE as well. Like if that last guy over the fence is late and a smoker's got you, you just have to like watch him yeah, die. That's you know, and that's, that's perfect zombie stuff too. You know, that's, that's, that's right out of the movies as well. I love that. It's like, no, He's fantastic. <laughs> I said it in the intro as a joke, but it's like the amount of time somebody has a door thrown in their face, a safe room door closed in their face, oh, just yeah, to get yeah. caught on the course, outside. It was like whether it was an sometimes it's an accident, sometimes it's not, but it's one of those things that perfectly captures that sort of like a, a hair second away from either success or failure. Um, that really you know channels the movies and like Neil said, leans into the tropes. I mean, one aspect of gameplay we didn't mention is the fact that friendly fire is always turned on. And so that's mm. one of those aspects where it's like, you know, you're it's mostly probably um, accidental, right? The fact you're backpedaling, you're getting swarmed and then you end up backpedaling too much and you end up spraying half your squad. Mm. And it's one of those things where it's like you might view it as well. It's a little bit of damage here or there, but like those kinds of moments add up. And so that, again, is one of those things where the emphasis is on playing with your squad to the best of y'all's abilities. And the fact that, like, you have to take into consideration every single shot. Because one too many of those types of fuck ups will kind of just destroy an entire run or you get to that finale and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a quarter of your health or something. And you're kind of, you know, we're going to relive probably one of the one of the darker endings of any number of zombie movies that are out there. <laughs> the uh, the friendly fire. That's that's a good shout, too, because you get so much feedback. You get the the overlay and the in, like the text. Yeah. It says, like, don't shoot your teammates. <laughs> and then you get usually the AI is saying, like. Lewis, watch where you're shooting. <laughs> and then you probably, if you get mics on, you probably have the real life, you know, partner of yours yelling at you as well. So you get kind of, you get kind of from three angles. But yeah, especially on on like higher difficulties. Like if you're going for like the expert runs, 
achievements or anything because I, I got all the achievements and those expert runs were were grueling some of them more than others yeah and uh to, to fire on each other in that moment because it's like like man if we do this well we're, we can handle the zombies we can have you know the guys in front kneeling down so we shoot over their shoulders and you know it could be real tactical but then like to be betrayed and because on those higher difficulties you lose a ton of of health from yeah basically any little hit of damage so like when it comes from your own ally it's like <laughs> no the betrayal <laughs> yeah i i honestly have like a, a sibling based trauma of you know friendly fire in any game from like the 90s i think that's onwards whereas like streets rage 2 i think probably infused that in me the most of like playing, playing with siblings <laughs> and getting punched in the back of the head because they couldn't figure out where to go and it's like oh yeah so anytime it happened in the game like left for dead it was like no i know i'm gonna stick back i'm gonna stay back here but then you'd always get someone being the wild one who would just spray everywhere it's like do you not understand the situation <laughs> you know do you not understand yeah, the that, idea is you're not supposed to shoot each other <laughs> that, that's my wife to be honest <laughs> when we play that's her she's always shooting it shows you the stats at the end most friendly fire she's always in first <laughs> but yeah it is yeah it, it, the same thing is always there with those games it just when you have limited lives and just yeah every hit counts it's like the last thing you need is oh i've used too many specials that drain my health bar and then your partner smacks you in the fucking face and it's like it, it's the worst thing like that because it's supposed to be easier with more than one person <laughs> like that's the idea it's like i love the chaos of it but at the time, it's not great fun. You know? That brings it back, though, to that idea, especially in something like competitive or versus mode, right? Is that if you're playing as one of the special infected, it's like sometimes your goal is not to kill somebody. It's to just cause enough chaos that yeah. you allow yeah. them to basically undo themselves. And that's the type of thing that, again, when you talk about, again, that word we love to throw around so much, simplicity, it's like if it, if a special infected is easy to get a grasp on their abilities – then you have a multitude of ways to utilize that. It doesn't have to be here's six or seven abilities. Here's one or two. And you need, as the player need to come up with ways in which you can kind of disrupt what the other team is trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, again, some of the most brilliant um, design when it comes to multiplayer gaming, it's like, keep it simple, stupid, give them some abilities and then allow them, or I suppose create a world that then allows them to get feedback based on how the world itself reacts to their own abilities. Yeah, isn't that like that's actually another thing that's been copied to death, and you know, quite cynically, um, in the early 2010s when they were trying to you know, circumvent the whole pre-owned game market by you know, having these stupid passes so that you'd have to have a multiplayer mode in your game to make sure that it could uh, not be played without some sort of purchase, and you know, I remember some of them, like horror, especially Dead Space Two, comes to mind. You know, like that. It is. Um, it had a multiplayer mode that was interesting, but I didn't see the point whatsoever. You know, it, it took very much the Left 4 Dead ideals, but you looked at it, it was like you could tell it was very cynically made for that reason and that reason alone. Like that, which is a shame because there have been really fun examples over the years of, of you know, the using another player to go against you in an enemy sense. Um, the first Dying Light did it, you know, with the, the volatile invader sort of thing. I think obviously not as well implemented, but I did like the idea of just being invaded in that sort of Dark Souls way by someone like that when you're out at night. And it being a player made it 
like a very different situation altogether. Um, and even like um, Deathloop, you know, with the invasion mechanic in that, which I think is to be honest, one of the most superb versions of it, you know, because there is something that inherently is telling you that you are in a versus mode, but it can play as a co-op mode. But because it's a stranger you're playing against, they don't know that. And you don't know that, how they're going to react. And I love that dynamic. It's so fantastic. But, yeah, nothing's really quite captured it like this, you know, in this sort of sense, where you are just having this, you know, taking what is in the base game, applying it to a multiplayer mode, and it working quite as well as this. Yeah, and I think that that's why when they went on to do the sequel... Um, and Mark could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what did they include in terms of new multiplayer modes? It was like a realism mode and maybe one other thing, but it wasn't it wasn't that they were introducing multiplayer modes that would go against what Neil is speaking to, right? The idea that you're taking that base experience and then you're adapting it for multiplayer rather than providing a multiplayer experience that doesn't really resemble anything like that core campaign single player experience. Yeah, the first one i forget i feel like the first one might have had realism or maybe it did i think it had survival like said, it's, it's, but it didn't have realism because i remember realism in two getting added and that was like a big deal because it was like yeah, even more hardcore the, yeah and then definitely they added scavenge mode or scavenger maybe they called it which was basically that dead center finale oh, but yeah. you could play it on different maps sure. in verses um and yeah that i mean that fits perfectly with what you're saying it's like we already saw this work. Um, you know, it's going to be on different maps now, which you, you want. You know, you want some map rotation anyway. <laughs> so if you're going to do it, do it well like yeah. that. Um, yeah, that was, I, I had a lot of fun on that mode as well. <laughs> Thinking back now, <laughs> that was a good one. Because yeah. if you remember, if you couldn't as a spitter, you couldn't destroy the gas cans until they were picked up. Once they were picked up and placed oh, back yeah. down. They would glow. They had that orange outline, <laughs> yellow outline instead of like no outline or white or whatever it was. And that meant basically they were susceptible to your spit. If you spit on them, they ignited. So you could have an enemy team amassing like six or eight gas cans next to the generator or the car or whatever it was on that level, you know, planning to you know insert them all at once toward the end. But if you spit on them, there goes their whole round. Mm. And that was always very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of what, again, with this game, how they weren't necessarily outside of, of course, realism mode. They were not going for realism. So you can include little tidbits and things like that. And it's not viewed as being like, I don't know, a weird glitch or a byproduct or something. It's like, no, it's kind of like the video game, video gaming nature of Left 4 Dead. And at the same time, though, having a good layer of strategy to the experience. But, you know, I think basically having an outline for certain items and whatnot kind of just signals to the player like this is not supposed to be a super realistic thing you know to go off of secret tapes documentary released for uh, half-life and there's that fantastic gabe newell quote in there where he talks about like i don't play games for realism i've never found realism to be fun right and so it's one of those core concepts where it's like you're going to have certain mechanics in games and then if there's a loop or a sort of a uh i suppose a byproduct of it that wasn't maybe necessarily intended it can still have a layer of strategy or fun factor to it that doesn't maybe feel like game breaking, I suppose. That that reminds me something I was again thinking about this morning, um, and I wasn't sure if we were going to touch on it, but now that we are, I'm going to say it. <laughs> they uh, when when you start to reload, but you're being you know bombarded with zombies right in your face, you can map you can b mash them off you, 
and you're kind of completing that reload mm -hmm. even as you're hitting them so it's almost like you're you're setting a timer once you start the reload and you can kind of break it up um i forget if back for blood does that or not or you know for other, for that matter which other games like left for dead do it but that was so important because yeah that was an area where they're like if we wanted to go for realism, you'd be stuck reloading for the rest of the match yeah. because there's 12 of them surrounding you. You're never going to get that reload in. And, and that, I mean, that would plainly suck, obviously. Um, so they kind of let you, you know, you start the reload, you gotta, you gotta melee a couple of them off you. And then eventually you finish that reload and you're, and you're ready to rip through them again with your, with your AR or whatever it is. And they, uh, yeah, that, that was like exactly, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was exactly what I was thinking this morning. It was like, that's that's an interesting angle they're like it's not realistic but it obviously works way better this way than the alternative so we're just going to do it and that, i think it's those little things that add up and that's that's basically why it, it's still so good i'm so glad you brought that up because that was in my notes and i completely forgot to mention it because i realized that when i was playing the original and i was like this is a lot more fluid than i remembered it being i was like i'm not getting bogged down with reloads i'm not getting caught with an empty mag a lot of the time and you know, I think that is a, a fantastic example of, that applies to that quote, because it's the fact that, like, if you're going to be fighting hordes of 30 to 50 zombies, that's going to get so fucking boring and tiresome if I just, I, you know, I'm holding an empty gun basically half of the time. Right. And so to be able to have that reload continue and then shoving them off and then having a full gun, it lets you like, again, get back into the fight, which mm. more or less, again, speaks to another quote from that documentary, which I'm just going to keep quoting, I suppose. Um, where they talk about like every three to five seconds, if the player is moving forward, something has to happen. In this case, maybe you might be standing still. But it's the thing where it's like if you take away the player's agency to react to the world because of something like that. At the end of the day, is that really needed in a game where you're fighting hordes of the undead and it is not as narratively focused as something like a Half-Life or a Half-Life 2? You know, I think in terms of wrapping up our conversation, um, you know, I think we had already mentioned like it would be fantastic to get a remaster of just i suppose left for dead 2 that then you know includes all the left for dead stuff but like would there what features would you want if they were to ever make a left for dead 3 like what is a way is there a way that they could expand on the left for dead formula in a way that you maybe had wanted just based on your sort of uh, i'm sure hundreds of hours playing through one and two <laughs> hmm you know it's funny i never really think about what i'd want to see more other than basically just more maps yeah. you know that that's that's one of the great things about playing it on steam is like people make their own mm -hmm. maps there's there's a lot many more campaigns to do on yeah there. That, i mean like a couple were like made official fan campaigns weren't they? yeah yeah, yeah um dead stream or yeah. something like that one of cold, cold stream, stream I think. yeah it officially came to the game yeah um yeah i i guess because for me it keeps coming back to they've already nailed it you know 12 to a couple dozen studios have tried to nail it as well since then like i said maybe the anacrusis comes closest um and i'd like to check it out again soon now that it's like officially yeah. one point i mean i love you mentioned that as well because i back when i covered it as well on here it's like i said that it's like it was the closest i'd seen to that you know that, that dynamic under the, the hood you know even if it was early and yet it got ripped to shreds you know, like people didn't seem to understand that it was like in early access effectively it's like 
Yeah, apparently Game Pass was bad. Yeah, it really was. Because people then, they're like, this game sucks. Like, well, this game's like... Not ready. This is like (laughs) 55% completed. (laughs) Well, I think that also speaks perhaps to why something like Left for Dead, you can't really replicate and why, you know, there have been examples of plenty of multiplayer games that have built upon that framework, but are very different types of experiences. And then again, coming back to Back for Blood, something like that that tries to play it a little too close to Left 4 Dead, but with all these modern additions and conventions and whatnot for shooters. If you try to go backwards now, then you might have a situation like the Anna Cruz where people are saying, well, where are the perks? Where are the weapon mods and the class customization and the attachments and stuff like that? And yeah, that's- so that's like an old school, old school framework uh, for a shooter that nowadays, you know, people are just too inundated with shooters that have this abundance of features that m- they might not even be great for shooters, but they are a byproduct of like modern day shooters. Yeah, I try to. That's like the one lingering question, because I've kind of before I wrote that feature last year on Left for Dead, I was like in my head, I was already kind of thinking it's the pacing and it's it's almost the less is more of, of it all. Um, but, but more than anything, it, it's just knowing, having an AI director that knows how to like script a level so that I can play it 400 times and have 400 <laughs> different experiences. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I, I'm just thinking about your earlier question of what, what they could do differently. Cause there's, I mean, yeah, just, ma- just make it a little prettier, I guess. Like, and, he, and, <laughs> yeah. and I keep coming back to that and it's like, it doesn't look it doesn't look that bad right now so i mean yeah it would look great like one thing that like the generation after the 360 got started to do really well was like lighting you know i'd love to see i've never messed with like left for dead's like visual mods so much i i, I assume they're out there but i kind of just like like the new levels and stuff but yeah i mean just if it's kind of an, if it ain't broke sort of game like that. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was saying before too, is it, I, I still don't really have an answer for, do people actually want, like if a left for dead three came out and it was as simple as we have seen the first two to be, would, would people care? Like maybe, is it the case where left for dead fans would get it, but it wouldn't bring in any new people and that makes it like yeah. untenable or, I don't really. Well, yeah, this is it, isn't it? it? Because, but at the same time, Valve clearly didn't give a shit with. Uh, they gave us a new Half Life, but then they made sure the the least amount of people possible could play it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. do right, they really right. care they, if, if they make a multiplayer shooter that ten people can play? Who knows? It, it is. It, it's an odd sort of thing. Personally, I, I don't think we need one. But I don't. I think it's not their fault. But I think we've had so many copycats, and zombies have been done so much that hmm. they'd really have to change it, and that would upset the people that want a new one. So I don't. You'd win like that. It's like you could do something similar, but maybe in a different thing, you know, in a different way. But again, those examples are out there. It's like I don't. The problem with Valve is at this point because they've been so long not doing these franchises it's like everyone's gonna say well, why are you making this instead of this and it's always gonna yeah. be that and, and i'm one of those people you know i ironically you know i love zombie stuff but this is not like even close to being my favorite valve game but that's just because of the high bar they set you know mm. so like, if i wanted anything next to be portal 
it'd be another portal that's it, it, it above anything because portal 2 is to me is like the master class of valve in everything they've ever done but I, i'm pretty much on the remaster train with you bring it to consoles modern consoles spruce it up make it look nice it would still be miles better than, than many of the games that have attempted it since yeah yeah and I have a boring answer because mine would just be more content, right? I think, <laughs> and I think that is probably the best compliment again that we could pay. I mean, granted, you've got that hurdle of like Valve clearly is not interested in making games in a, a predictable fashion. I'll say that would be the nice way to put it, right? <laughs> um, and so for them to ever return to the well at this point, it seems like if they were to do that for Left 4 Dead, it would be exactly what we've kind of said already, which is like a spruced up version that puts everything into one nice package for modern consoles. And brings, you know, an audience back to, you know, the console side of things, because, you know, I suppose also there'd be some kind of upgrade for PC players. But that was my uh, my very boring answer to my own very boring question. But I think, <laughs> you know, getting to get to the bottom of why, you know, 15 years later and all three of us, you know, returned to the original Left 4 Dead and played some Left 4 Dead 2 as well. And it's, you know, a game that is an example of a studio that just like had lightning in a bottle in a way that has, you know, become timeless, I think, because I would... I would venture that in 15 more years, like we could go back and play Left 4 Dead and it would be the same type of core experience that hasn't really aged um, poorly or in a, a fashion that, you know, kind of made us scratch our chins about why this was such a, uh, you know, a phenomenon when it was released. And up until recently, you know, that still has a pretty vibrant community, I believe, online. Um, but Mark, man, we were so happy to have you back and, you know, pretty quick turnaround uh but it helps when uh one of your <laughs> one of your favorite games uh is having a milestone anniversary so we thank you again so much for your time and uh look forward to chatting horror with you again in the future sweet yeah this was a lot of fun thanks for uh thanks for having me thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates you can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.